You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Cryptopsy, and you're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians and we talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Tomorrow is the big day, the one-year anniversary of the Vox and Hops podcast. I am super proud, super honored that I have uh, reached this point, that I have uh, had the opportunity to sit down with over 80 individuals and shared such incredible craft beers and incredible discussions. It's just been such an honor, and I'm just so happy and so proud that I've reached this point, and I can't wait to see what the next year brings Vox and Hops. To celebrate the fact that the podcast turns one year old, tomorrow at Turbo House on St. Denis Street in Montreal, I am hosting the one-year Vox and Hops party. The Vox and Hops alumni, all of you Vox and Hops heads, Lord Worm, the original singer of Cryptopsy, and myself will be there to celebrate the fact that the podcast has reached this point. For this special event, I will be conducting an interview with Lord Worm. I am so excited to finally sit down and talk to Lord Worm. He is actually one of the original people that I wanted to have a conversation with. When I started this podcast, I have so many questions. I can't wait to ask Dan Lord Worm Greening. I also just received the very first Vox and Hops branded glassware. This is a nine ounce tasting glass, the exact style of glass that I like to use when I am at home drinking craft beer. It has the black Vox and Hops logo on it. I'm so excited that I finally received them. I'm sure that you guys have seen the pictures that I posted over the past week and all the great beers that I've been drinking in it. So excited to get these out to all you guys. Also that night, you will be able to taste the very first Vox and Hops collaborative brew, which I made alongside the great people of Microbrasserie Le Fermenteur from L'Assomption, Québec. Over a month ago now, I went to L'Assomption and I helped brew a New England IPA, which we have called Highway to Hops. All of that is available tomorrow. It's happening at Turbo House. It's going to be the Vox and Hops alumni. It's going to be you, Vox and Hops heads. It's going to be Lord Worm and myself cheersing with the 9-ounce Vox and Hops branded glassware, drinking Highway to Hops. I'm so excited. You can get your tickets right now. You do not want to miss this event. The link is available in the description of this podcast. Come out, enjoy life, metal, and craft beer with all of us. Today on the podcast, I'm with Vicky Sarakis. The singer of the Agnes. This is Vox and Hops, episode number eight. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today I'm with Vicky Sarakis, the singer of the Agonist. That is me. We are recording this uh, interview at St. Buck on St. Denis Street in Montreal, Quebec. And I'm very happy to be here with you. You are actually probably the top requested interview for me to have. Seriously. How have you been? Great. You just finished a string of shows. Yes. How did that go? Absolutely fantastic. Um, it's really awesome like, like what was really awesome to see is that our album just dropped and there were people in the crowd that were singing along to the new songs and that was absolutely mind-blowing because you know how many times have you heard the songs that just came out that you're able to sing along so i think that's the first time that that's ever happened since i joined the band and it was really cool to see it's always a beautiful beautiful moment Absolutely. When when people actually know your words mm-hmm. and take mm-hmm. the time to learn the words. 
Yes. I have a bit of a harder time with that because it's just guttural <laughs> grunts. They think they know the words. <laughs> actually, that must make it even more rewarding for you if someone actually does know the words. It's like they put a lot of effort into that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take everyone back into your childhood. You grew up in Greece. Yes and no. I grew up in Chicago and then I moved to Greece. Okay. What was the soundtrack to your youth? What music was playing in your house? Wow. Um, I mean, that really depends. Uh, I'm not from a musical family at all. So my parents were always kind of like, whatever is on the radio, background, you know, not really into it. I remember, you know, I was an 80s kid, early 90s kid, I guess. And there was a lot of, you know, Michael Jackson, um, Nirvana, the whole grunge thing happening on MTV and... That was kind of playing in the house, and I remember, like, dancing to the TV sometimes as a kid. Uh, but then I think when I really, really got into, like, music is when I heard metal for the first time. I was maybe, like, 13 or 14 at the time, and a friend of mine gave me, like, a mixed CD with, like, you know, different artists, metal artists, like, Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, uh, you know, a lot of the good classics, and I was, like, blown away, and uh, I was, you know, I need to find more of this and listen to more of this. So you weren't that type of girl that was into the Backstreet Boys? Maybe a little. Well, the <laughs> thing I just want to say, like, maybe, like, like I was going to thinking that this metal was finally, like, metal music finally became your music versus your parents' music. Yes, exactly. Like, but, I, but the Backstreet Boys must have been a little bit of that too. It was. Well, I was in uh, elementary school when the whole Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, In uh, Sync, all those, yes, Aguilera came out, and we would do like the school party things that were happening and they'd have that as a soundtrack and the little girls were dancing around so like I went through that phase but it was more again just because that was on the radio not mm-hmm, because it was mm-hmm. my choice in music so metal became your music basically yes how, how did your your family accept this what was their 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 first uh, when you came home with this mixtape how they, did they feel about it I was very lucky in that my parents didn't really care about really anything Like, I was one of those kids that I would stay on my computer until, like, 3 or 4 in the morning when I had a school night, and they would not come knocking on my door and say, like, hey, you got to go to sleep. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I I came home with good grades, so they were like, okay, it's fine. She must be handling herself. I suppose. Um, But there were moments where they were like, okay, can you turn down the music because we're trying to sleep or whatever. So I, I did have a little bit of that, but they were very, very easygoing with it. You mentioned that uh, not much of a musical family. Where did the singing come from? When did you discover your voice? Mm. At one point, did you think, uh, oh, I can sing good? Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's strange. I don't know where it came from because both of my parents are tone deaf, actually. Really? That's so funny. Yeah, they, they can't carry a tune. Um, and I... As far as I remember, I've been singing all my life. Like, I just, uh, from a very young age, I was able to sing in key. So, uh, you know, teachers would make me, you know, 
have a, a role in the school play or whatever, be in the choir and all that. So I did it as a habit as a kid. It was like it was like a, an activity that I enjoyed, but I wasn't per se like in love with it as a little kid being like, oh, I want to be a singer when I grow up, you know. And um, it happened later on, like I said, when I first listened to metal music, I just really got that sort of itch to start writing my own music and writing lyrics and um, I had like this like old Yamaha keyboard and I was trying to learn how to trying to learn how to play um, by myself wasn't amazing still not amazing but I tried I started writing my own music and then I realized that like hey I can actually sing so I started singing my own music and then I just kind of fell into that. I was like, okay, it's so much easier to sing than to learn how to play piano properly or guitar and do instrumentations and all that. So I was just like, ah. Let's just rely on someone else. Basically. <laughs> I, I do kind of regret it. I wish I had taken more time to like learn more, like play guitar decently, not just a few chords here and there. But at the end of the day, I focused on singing and that, that's it. So until you heard the metal bands, there was no, like, person for you to look up to as a front woman. No. no you know, like, I, as, like you, you, didn't, you couldn't aspire to be a Christina Aguilera because that's gosh, not something no. that would represent you. No, no. It was music that I liked listening to at, like, parties, birthday parties and stuff like that as a you kid. You never pictured yourself on stage singing absolutely. something like that until you heard metal music. No. Which is very interesting. <laughs> Not yeah. at all. I find that very interesting. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I think it, it just differs from person to person and the reason you get into it. I've met a lot of people in my life that wanted to be singers just uh, because they love singing. They love being on stage. They love performing. Um, I was never that person. That's something I had to learn how to do and how to embrace, I guess. Um, or fake it really well. I can't do that. I'm not at all because it just looks <laughs> awkward if I'm trying to fake something. But to me, it's always just been more about expressing myself and the songwriting and all that. And then it's like, okay, you have to do it on stage. And it took me some time to kind of embrace that and look forward to that. Like in the beginning, I would always dread it. Uh, but after a while, you fall in love with that aspect of it as well. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with metal musicians and drinking great craft beer. Today we are at St. Buck, as I mentioned, and they just had their 13th anniversary this past weekend. Congratulations, St. Buck. You are really one of the best tap houses in Montreal. I say it every time I'm here. And they have a really solid list of delicious beers for us to choose from. And we chose Jack Abbey's Craft Lagers, Cocoa, Nut Barrel Age, Farming Hammer from 2018. It is a Baltic Porter with uh, cocoa and uh, coconut. Yes. It clocks in at uh, 10% ABV. And, uh, and from, from this paper, it says it has a 99 rate beer, which is pretty good. So it must be good. Let's see what it is. <laughs> it's a bit too cold. I always complain it's about true. stouts, stouts too need cold. to be a little warmer. Yeah. That's true. Cheers. Cheers. It smells sweet. It's going to be a, a desserty type stout. Mm. It's very desserty. So it's just you don't even taste the, the alcohol. Ooh, yes. Yeah. It's almost so a little good. bit sour. It had a no, it had a sweet kick and then after the sweet kick came the sour kick. Yeah, it's interesting. Very, very good. interesting. I like it. Me too. <laughs> Let's do another one. <laughs> Let's talk about craft beer. Are you a craft beer enthusiast? I am. 
Not as much as yourself, but you I don't try. You have a podcast about it, you know? <laughs> I don't have a podcast, and I'm on Untapped, and I think I've logged in like maybe 50 beers or something. I think that's more than me. I, I started, and I was like, this is too, I have no time for this. That's true. I, I definitely have tried more beers than that, but it's just, I, I don't pull out my phone right away, you know? I'm like, let me rate it. Let me rate it now, so I forget. What would be, do you remember your first experience with alcohol? A beer specifically. My first experience with beer, yes. I hated it. <laughs> I mean, I was like 12 or 13 and I had my first, um, I believe it was a Heineken. Because uh, I was in Greece and Heineken is a big beer in Greece. It's kind of like the equivalent of, I don't know, Budweiser in the States. So I took a sip and I was like, oof, why do people drink this? I don't understand. But I was a kid, right? I know a lot of people didn't like their first beer. Did you like your first beer? I did not. It was a warm, <laughs> I've said it on the podcast before, a warm Lucky Lager, which yeah. is a discontinued brewery up here in Canada. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was horrible. Well, there you not go. Not as horrible as the next mornings that we had. We had no more milk to make cereal, so we used beer. Ooh. Warm beer in the cereal the next morning. Great, great party at uh, Casey Barnaby Brown's house. Uh, shout out if you're listening. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What would be the first beer that you drank, uh, craft beer that sort of opened your eyes and said, oh, beers can be interesting? Oh, man. I really don't remember, like, the which brewery it was. Like, I remember when I first came to Montreal, I joined the Agonist. It was in 2014, and that was sort of the beginning of the whole craft beer sensation, but... Not a, not too much. Like, I remember the band was really on St. Ambrose. Yes. And yes. at that point, everyone was like, this is the best beer ever, you know? So And it was. I tried St. Ambrose, and I was like, oh, this is really good beer. It's much better than anything I've ever had. Uh, but, you know, fast forward to today, most people don't feel the same way anymore because there's... It expanded so much. And so did their palates. Yes. The palates expand. The options expand. Uh, so many breweries, different types of beers. It's it's hard to keep up, really. As you're ordering the beers today, I so said, what style of beers do you like? And you mentioned that you enjoyed sours and stouts. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. You go out and you're at a bar. You don't have to drive. What is your typical beer drinking night? So it's really simple. I enjoy stouts in the winter and I enjoy sours in the summer. Basically. Um, what kind of sours? The more fruity style? The more barrel-y aged ones? Honestly, all of them. Um, I will prefer the fruity ones, let's say, if it's like a very hot day and we're just sitting on a terrace or at the beach or whatever. It just goes down so nicely, you know. Um, but I don't believe I've ever had a sour where I'm just like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. You know, like, obviously I've liked some more than others, but yeah, they're, they're all good. <laughs> if the Agonists were to ever make their own craft beer in collaboration with a brewery, what style beer would that be? And what would be the name of the beer? So that's hard because I really like stouts. Danny likes stouts as well. I think Kells is sort of into stouts too. But then everyone else, aside from me and the band, is really into IPAs. I, I'm i getting there. I'm not there yet. I, I do enjoy the uh, milkshake IPAs a lot. But I can't really do, like, the double, triple, super hoppy IPAs. Like, that's not for me. But then they really enjoy it, so... So make it for yourself. It's a stout. Yes. It's a stout, if it's me. And, um... 
coffee tasting stuff. Yes. <laughs> I like my coffee and I like my beer and I like them both together. Um, Call it orphans in the morning. Wow. <laughs> that is a coffee stout. <laughs> that is so dark and beautiful at the same time. <laughs> Let's go back to when you started your YouTube channel. Having uh, spoken with Danny, I knew that he sort of discovered you through scouring internet and found you did a cover of The Agonist. Let's yeah. talk about how you started doing those covers. What state of mind were you in mm-hmm. while you started doing that? Uh, so the re- it was really simple. The reason I started doing covers was because I did the whole attempt back in Greece to try to either create my own band or find a band. And it wasn't really working. Like the bands out there that wanted a female vocalist were more in like the symphonic mm-hmm. sort of gothic mm-hmm. style that is really not my thing at all. And, Which um, is funny because you end up touring with them all the time. <laughs> it is kind of funny, yes. No disrespect to the other bands. Yeah. No, it's it's a personal taste. It's just, uh, I, I did the whole like opera thingy, singing thing for a bit. Um, and I, I can still do it, but it's not, it's not what I prefer vocally. Like I wanted something more modern with like a rock edge to it and everything. And there were like no bands like there, like that in Greece that wanted a female singer. And I kind of tried doing my own like projects and stuff like that, but it was, it was really hard to find, you know, people dedicated and willing to, you know, uh, put themselves in it like a hundred percent financially and time wise and all that. So I was like, okay, this isn't working. Um, what else can I do? And I just started doing covers because, you know, you find an instrumental online, you just put your voice over it, mix it, film video, boom, it's up there. It's not a lot of work to it. And in the back of my head, I was like, maybe, you know, maybe someone will see it and maybe I'll get picked up. You'll be like that guy from Journey. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually didn't expect it though. It was just like, you know, uh, wishful thinking. But then it actually happened and I was like, oh, okay. It's pretty cool. What was that moment like? You got an email, you got a phone call. How did that go down? Uh, Yeah, I got a Facebook message, I believe. And the very first thing I did was like, I read it. I was like, Danny Marino, guitarist of the Agonist. I'm like, huh? And the first thing I did, I went to his profile to see if it was true. And it wasn't like some fan that created, you know, a fake profile and all that. And I'm like, okay, seems legit. He obviously didn't say what he wanted right off the bat. You know, you're not going to message. The ever elusive Danny. Well, (laughs) and and good for him, too. Like, you don't message a complete stranger being like, "Uh, we need a new singer. Especially it was sort of a delicate (laughs) circumstance at the time as well. It was delicate. And also, like, you don't know. Like, I could be a complete weirdo. And then the next thing I know, you know, is Danny wakes up and there's a whole press thing. The Agnes searching for a new singer. You know, you're not. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So he didn't tell me right off the bat. Uh, We just, like started talking and got to know each other and then i guess when he started feeling a bit more comfortable he opened up and he told me why he was messaging me and he sent me some tracks so i could you know do my thing on them which was leading up to become the eye of providence yes and i sent back it was the song uh dance Bacab. I sent that back. I guess he shared it with the rest of the band. They really loved it. And then I got the official, I guess, like, hey, do you want to do this? And I was like, okay, let's do it. (laughs) It's almost crazy that had you not moved to Greece, it might have hypothetically been easier for you to find a project to work with in Chicago 
because it's sort of like a mecca for musicians. Yeah. You might have found that band that you were looking for and you would have never created exactly. this YouTube channel. Yes. You would have never made that cover. Yes. Or maybe I would have never even gotten into metal, right? Because maybe there wouldn't have been that person to give me a mixed CD back then. Hey, listen to this. That's true. That's and true. in Chicago, like all the radio stations are like very hip hop oriented. So maybe I would be dancing in a club right now, you know. <laughs> Not wasting your time with me. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> uh, I know that last year was hard. You guys recorded Orphans over a year ago. Finished it over a year ago at this point. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this past year. You guys were almost in limbo. What was your mindset throughout that year? It was hard. I'm not going to lie. Um, it was especially hard because there was nothing else going on like we did I think right after recording the album, we went to Japan and then we had a show, well, two shows in Peru and then it was silence. Like we didn't even have any shows or something to take our mind off of the waiting, you know, and I was back home in Chicago. Uh, the guys were here when I'm in Chicago. We don't talk as much, you know, we'll message each other occasionally, but it's we kind of lose a little bit of contact and it felt like everyone was going through a bit of a personal hell so to speak but no one really opened up to each other um and it just kept building and building and we were we were on the brink of just saying like hey let's let's release the album on our own but then we were thinking of like um what donaldson told us with with you guys releasing it on your own and he was like don't do that you know just wait sit and wait and maybe something will happen so we waited and waited and then it happened and it was really a, a crazy year in that like there could have been a day where I was at the bottom like mentally and then the next day something crazy good would happen and I would be like super happy and it just kept going like that over and over again so yeah. patience is always a good thing yes in our business being independent is really hard Mm -hmm. It has its perks, but it's not easy. So, so yeah. I commend you guys for sort of waiting it out. Yeah, it must have been hard. It must have been. It was hard. Were you at the point where you're like, let's see if there's any bands looking for a touring singer? <laughs> um, I well, the thing is, like, I, I love music in general. So, like, what I'm doing with the Agonist, I'm doing with the Agonist. I would never go create, you know, uh, the Agonist 2.0 and do the exact same thing. But if I were to, you know, find a side project or, like you said, some other band is looking for a singer that's, like, completely different and it's something I actually enjoy and I feel like I can express myself, I would probably do it. But I, w I would do it, of course. I would speak to my bandmates about it. I would make sure that, you know... It makes sense for everyone. And you wouldn't keep it a secret. No, I wouldn't keep it a secret. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you if uh, you've ever considered going and doing a side project route with just like hypothetically only clean vocals because you're such a, mm -hmm. just an amazing clean vocalist. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, of course I've considered it, but it's like... Still edgy, but mm -hmm. without the whole... Screaming part of the yes. music, which, which, as much as I love screaming music, it, it sort of diverts the crowd. It, like mm -hmm. it, it divides the crowd. Some people will just won't even listen to certain music exactly. because it has harsh vocals on it. Yeah, and the other way around. Like sometimes I read uh, comments on our videos, and some people are like, "This would be so much better if it didn't have singing." You are and right. And then yeah, yeah. other people are like, "This would be so much better if it didn't have screaming." So you know, you can't please everyone. Um, I, but I think what um, my uh, problem with 
how people react to say bands that have a singer that does both is that a lot of people have a difficult time I guess uh, distinguishing the difference between like the vocal styles within screaming or within singing so like a lot of people are like okay the screaming is harsh and brutal and the singing is soft and sweet but it's like it's not like that at all like there's so many dynamics in singing alone where I find just because the screaming is there it overpowers it if you know what I mean yes of course yes. whereas if you're an all singing band let's say and you have those dynamics people will, can really tell the difference between let's say a very soft uh, ethereal vocal so to speak to a very powerful belted you know high note whereas in screaming they haven't they can't unless you're like a seasoned screamer listener exactly you can't dissect the vocals yeah. in the same way yeah but but some people are catching on I've, I'm actually like really happy I've seen like reviews on orphans that people are saying they're commenting on like the diversity within the singing and I'm like ah oh, it's catching on finally like people are noticing I've let, like I'm not a one-dimensional singer you know? no 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 you're, you're all over the place <laughs> and, and you have these new gutturals which are thank you very very good and they translate very well to the stage from what mm. I've seen yeah. awesome thank you let's talk about you discovering you started as a singer going from like Iron Maiden clean vocals when did the harsh vocals come in did it come from the covers did it come before that it it came from yeah doing YouTube things so like when I started doing covers on YouTube I started with songs that were obviously comfortable for me what mostly. would be that first cover oh man the very first cover or one that you remember early on uh, I don't remember what the first one was but I think I did like um, definitely did an epica cover like a ballad of epica and um, heart I believe I did heart as well mostly female fronted stuff you know um, but I, I was safe in that you know I chose songs that were in my range in my style of singing even though I was like a big fan of like power metal bands or heavy metal bands I didn't know how to sing like that at, at the time I was just like had a very sweet sounding voice you know and then I started challenging myself being like okay let me attempt an Iron Maiden song or a, a Audio Slave song and like try to learn how to do that like raspy sort of pushed style of singing which uh, was horrible in the beginning because it always is you know uh, but, you know, I kept doing it and doing it and doing it and it kind of became good. And then after I did that, I was like, um, I think I was at like a show or something with some friends and a band was playing live uh, screaming and I did like a scream over the music and my friend was like, Hey, you should uh, try doing a screaming cover. And I'm like, uh, okay, let me try. And I tried, and it was horrible again in the what beginning. What was it? What was it? My first screaming cover? Yes. It was Arch Enemy. Really? Okay, yes. awesome. Yeah, it was a it's nemesis. A small world. Yes. Well, I mean, it was, especially at the time, the obvious choice, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty bad. I think at the time, people thought it was good, because it was the first thing they were hearing from me, and it was like, oh. She, she can, can do this, too? Exactly. Yeah. But looking back, it's like, oh, man, I can't even listen to that stuff anymore, like... It's horrible. <laughs> so talk us through the evolution of your scream. Um, the evolution. It's, uh, as with everything, I think uh, trial and error. Um, like, every single show that we play, there's always someone at the merch that's like, how do you do this? 
And while it's a compliment, at the same time, I'm kind of like, uh, I don't know. Like, I don't have an answer for you. It's not like I opened my mouth and this sound came out. It takes time. And um, I think especially going on tour, doing it night after night, you know, you realize um, what your limits are. Um, sometimes you have to sacrifice, let's say, the perfect sound and projection because you know that you have like 10 shows in a row. That's correct. And um, it's all about finding that balance and uh, being completely in control too. Absolutely. And I think it took me a while, but it really clicked when I was songwriting for Orphans at home. Maybe it was the fact that what we were talking about earlier, that I had so much free time at home. Um, writing the album and then waiting for the album to be released. I had to keep myself busy, you know? So I would sing either our songs or I would do other covers at home, just practice and practice. And that's kind of what um, made it click for me. I was, like, listening to other screamers and being like, hmm, how does that guy do that, you know, and try to, like, imitate it, I guess. And that kind of helped me... Um, achieve, I guess, some clarity within the screaming. So trial and error? Trial and error, yes, because you know, and with singing too, first note you comes out of your mouth is not going to be good, you know. But you got to get that first note out to get hit the rest of the good ones. Exactly. Uh, a lot of people are scared to sound bad. Or accept know. the sound of their voice to start with. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you can't you can't just like put on a CD and expect to sound like that person. That person put the work in. Absolutely. So if you judge it upon the first note or sound that comes out of your mouth, yeah, you're going to be very disappointed. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's talk about some annoying press stuff. <laughs> um, how wary are you to do certain press? You might get asked questions, and your answers might get turned around on you. Um, yes. Uh, I'm speaking specifically about what happened earlier this yeah. month. Yeah, well, the thing is that when, when that happened, in the back of my head, I kind of let it happen. And it was simply because, you know, you know how it is when uh, there's an album release and the interviews are scheduled back to back. So there were some days where I had like four or five interviews in a row. And a lot of times those questions coincided, you know, same questions over and over again. So I just, I reached, I guess, my, my boiling point where I was like, you know what? This is it. And I kind of let it out. And it wasn't like, like you said, it, it did kind of get blown they sort of, of warped what you said a bit. Yeah, but I, I kind of knew it was going to happen. I didn't expect the full extent of what happened, to be honest. And it wasn't my intention. It was just more like I've been in the band for five years. Every single time anything remotely close to that is brought up, I just like shut down and don't say anything or avoid or redirect. And I just reached that point where it's like I'm, I'm done, you know, and I just let it out and... In the moment, it felt really good. It actually felt good afterwards, too. It just felt like, ah, I can breathe again. And it also, you know, because, of course, I got asked afterwards from other, other medias. Yes. yes. Just like you're asking me now, I guess. <laughs> but it felt good in that I didn't feel that need anymore to, to talk about it anymore. It's like, well, it's out there. Anyone can go and read it if they want, you know. And uh, did you read her the response from the other side? Yes. And how did you feel about that? Um, uh, how did I feel? It felt a bit uh, underwhelmed. I was not anticipating it. 
Um, I wasn't anticipating a response at all, to be honest. I thought it would just, uh, you know, let it die down. And then I read the response and I was like, okay. They responded. And would you take her up on that offer and have a phone call with Elisa? Sure. If she really wanted to, I'm here. You know, I, I, I think it'd be cool. I've said it on every <laughs> podcast. I've had Kels, I've yeah. had Danny, I've had Simon. And yeah. I've said, you guys are both in better places. Absolutely. You're both happy. Yeah. Everyone should just move on and get on with their, with that each is their own projects. Absolutely. And just, just let everyone be happy because everyone is happy. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly how I feel. And it's always been a bit weird for me in that, you know, obviously they have some beef. They were in a band together for 10 years or so. But I'm just like, well, not anymore, but I was the new girl. I just, I would just love to come to that point where mm. the agonist is playing Wacken. Right. And she walks up and does a guest with you guys, you know? Yeah. I, I would love to see that happen. I think the rest of the metal community would like to see it as well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it would be appreciated. Um, but yeah, on my end, I'm totally okay. You know, it's like I said, it was just a bit of a weird place for me because I had nothing to do with this. You know, I'm just the, the new person. Well, was the new person in the band. And if it wasn't me, it would be someone else. So I felt a bit like, why am I caught up in the middle of all this, you know? So, obviously, if something good were to happen, why not let it happen? If you could travel back in time, be on one tour again that you have done, what would that tour be? It's a hard question. Uh, I think my favorite tour that I did with the band was probably the uh, Epica Flesh God Apocalypse Arcona tour. That was a really good tour. Is there a band out there that you haven't toured with that you would just absolutely love to share the stage with? Well, we are touring with Ginger soon, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, that, that I think, is a really fitting tour. I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and then in terms of just, like, you know, personal favorites, not necessarily the best match band-wise. You know, there's, like, bands I look up to, like um, Opeth or Gojira or... It's a lot of bands. Um, it was funny. I actually, now that you mentioned that, I saw a tweet today. And um, our album came out the same day as uh, the As I Lay Dying album. It did. Yeah. And I, I saw someone was like, hey, uh, As I Lay Dying, why don't you take the Agonist out on tour? <laughs> so that was kind of cool to see. It's like, oh, that, I think that might be a fitting tour as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's... My personal favorites aren't always necessarily the best fit for the band. Business-wise, Exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, the Agnes Couture with Cryptopsy. I don't that know. would be a fun tour. <laughs> we would all us, have fun. For us, but the fans, yes. I don't know if they'd get along. I think I would have to do the whole set in my low growls. <laughs> <laughs> or I'd have to do my whole set in cleans. <laughs> no, man. We could both do it. Half That'd and be half. interesting. <laughs> Vicky, thank you so much. Coming with me, having a pint at Buck on St. Denis Street. I really, really appreciate it. Cheers. My pleasure. Cheers. Hey, thank you all so much for listening right to the end. So excited that I finally got to sit down with Vicky. As I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast with her, she was actually one of the most requested guests from people asking me to uh, have her on the podcast. So it was an honor. Super happy that we finally got it done. She's super interesting, very talented, and I wish them all of the best on their upcoming tour with Ginger in Europe, which is almost all sold out. 
it's going to be an insane, insane tour for the Agonists, and I'm so happy that it's happening. I also launched last week the Vox and Hops long sleeve. I'm so proud of this design. The water makes you rust when you're made of metal. Long sleeve is a design that I'm just completely in love with. Andrew Tremblay, the artist who designs all of the Vox and Hops logos and imagery, just hit it out of the park on this design. I'm, I'm totally enamored with it and I'm in love with it. The rusted hop vines that run up and down both sleeves is simply fantastic. I put the link so that you can order your Water Makes You Rust When You're Made of Metal long sleeve right now. It's going to be up for pre-order for another few weeks and then it's going to be gone. This is a limited run. I'm never going to do it again, just like the Enjoy Life Metal and Craft Beer shirts. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I hope to see you tomorrow at the Vox and Hops one-year anniversary party. I hope you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.